Well, hello again, Memphis, and welcome to Storyboard 30. This is the show taken right out of the pages of Storyboard Memphis, the journal that brings you Memphis stories, ideas, connections, and community in one place. And I am Mark Fleischer, publisher of Storyboard Memphis, and your host for the next 30 minutes of Storyboard 30. Before I introduce my guest today, I want to talk about the upcoming Mojo of Midtown Awards, which are presented by MidtownMemphis.org, the former Memphis Development Corporation. And this year, just announced, are the recipients for the sixth annual awards. And the awards are named for individuals and organizations who have made significant contributions to the growth and vibrancy of Midtown. The honorees this year include Memphis College of Art, Kathy and Kelly Fish, Jerry Finestone of Bosco's, uh, Adrian Brody of La Vogue Salon and the Memphis Zoo, and my guest today, Emily Trenum. Emily, she's being honored uh, as a Mojo of Midtown Award recipient for 20 years of vision with the Community Development Council and Building Memphis, growing community development corporations while helping to create thriving, sustainable neighborhoods. Emily, welcome to Storyboard 30. Thanks, Mark. Happy to be here. And congratulations on the award. Thank you. It was quite a surprise, but I'm honored. For those who don't know about the Mojo of Midtown Awards, you know, we, we just came off of the Academy Awards, right, the Oscars. And I kind of think of the Mojo of Midtown Awards as kind of like our version of the Oscars. The Midtown Development Corporation or MidtownMemphis.org, you know, is, is a, a nonprofit organization in Midtown that really serves as a kind of an advocate, but annually uh, hosts the Mojo Awards, and you've you've attended them. They're really quite something special. Oh, they're super fun. It's always great. You watch a lot of people you know, and of course, always honor really great individuals and organizations working to make Midtown better. So that's why it's really a an honor, as I said, to be getting an award this year. Who who made the call to you to tell you about the award? Andy Kissinger. Andy, okay. But then I started, I ran into you and I ran into other people that said, congratulations. And I was like, yes, I have mojo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Again, for those who haven't heard about it, it's, it really is something special. Um, I'm, a, I'm a board member, of course. And every year I look forward to this event just because of how, how special it is. And like you said, the people that come out, the people and organizations that are honored get a chance to uh, go up on stage and and say a few words, it can be rather emotional. Plus, we haven't really discussed this, Mark, but in the past, there's been a really cool Karen Capps work of art that is given as a, a tangible award. And I'm hoping that's still the case because I love Karen's art and I remember that that's going to be one of the best parts of getting the award. So, so tell me that I'm going to get that. You will <laughs> you will get one. Obviously, I don't know what it looks like yet because she custom, they're handcrafted, they're custom made. They're really something special. They're displayed in the lobby when you walk in and yeah. She's super talented. She is super talented and those are a lot of fun. I wish I knew how those came together. I actually don't know how those came together originally, but they, yeah, they're, they're pretty cool awards. So you are being honored for your work with the CD Council, as we said. Community the, Development Council. Exactly. Community Development Council, which was created in 2000. Yes, right? it was. Yeah. So if you would take us back to 2000 and the creation of the Community Development Council and your role in it. The Community Development Corporations, for people that don't know, are nonprofits that are really engines of 
neighborhood revitalization. They're, they exist here in Memphis and around the country, and you'll see them in Orange Mound, South Memphis, Conduct Smoky City, Frazier, there's Whitehaven, there's quite a few of them. And as you can imagine, they've got a lot of shared interests and concerns. And in the 90s, they got together periodically for coffee or for meetings informally to talk about some of these shared concerns. And then in 1999, decided to actually form a local association to more formally and more intentionally advocate on behalf of their shared interests organizationally and then from a policy perspective. And basically just codifying something that had been an informal group. Mm -hmm. I got involved. It's kind of a funny story. I went to graduate school when I was 40, sort of did a midlife career change for the local planning school, and I had an opportunity to go to Madison, Wisconsin for the summer for an internship, which was a lot of fun. But while I was there, before I left, I had arranged an internship because I needed to have a fellowship to pay my tuition and provide me some financial support. Mm-hmm. So I'd arranged all of that before I went. And then over the summer, I found out that the spot had been given to somebody else. So it was kind of frantic out there, out there in Madison, Wisconsin, wondering what I was going to do in the fall. And just talking to people on the phone. And someone said, well, there's this new entity, Community Development Council, that is also looking for an intern. Maybe you should work for them. And this is when you're 40. This is when I was 40 Uh um, because I had an earlier career, corporate career in marketing and communications. And so I was in Wisconsin and I said, okay, that sounds great. So I came back. Rashawn Austin from who now is the executive director of the works was just starting her career in community development at as she was executive director of the Orange Mound Development Corporation. She was the board chair. Okay. So I just set up lunch and I said, I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) And of course they weren't looking for staff and there was no office or phone or anything like that. There was no work plan Mm -hmm. because they hadn't anticipated having somebody. So that was the start of it. I was at, now I was the world's oldest intern. I was the intern (laughs) that never left (laughs) because I started and we just grew it little by little. We raised some money. I worked part-time for a couple of years, added in other staff, and it took quite a while to really build it up to where it is today. That was that's it in a nutshell. I just showed up one day and never left, really, until <laughs> 2017. <laughs> now, for those who aren't aware, let's kind of revisit what a community development, let's just say a CDC, but right. but uh, in general, but a, a community development entity, what does it do? What are the results, the tangible results that, you know, most people can see? What what is it all about? Well, CDCs do a variety of things. They do affordable housing development. They do job programs, workforce development. They do commercial revitalization. And then some of them do softer type programs, closed closets and food banks and, I mean, food pantries. There's really a a big spectrum of activities. It's all focused on the 
physical and economic improvement of a particular geography, in this case, a neighborhood. And because we've got a lot of neighborhoods in Memphis that have experienced decades of disinvestment. Mm -hmm. In north and the south parts of the city, neighborhoods like Hickory Hill, and the private market has essentially left those areas, leaving people behind, small business owners behind, and CDC's step into the fray to bring some of that investment back. And as I said, they do do it in a variety of ways. And you can see a lots of tangible results. Frazier CDC has built a lot of housing and made a lot of homeowner. Homeownership's a big part of, of the CDC world. And they have done developed grocery stores, Bingham Development. People drive by the intersection of Tillman and Sam Cooper. There's a new commercial development there with a grocery store and a dollar store, a great little restaurant called Inspire Community Cafe. Yeah. I think there's a telephone store in there. That is the project of the Binghamton Development Corporation. So when you drive around, you can see the the tangible results in a lot of neighborhoods. I think of a CDC on a, on a very basic level as a, a community effort that kind of fills the gap or fills the void where city governments and the market have cannot address. They don't have the capacity. There's not the interest. There's not the investment opportunity necessarily on a, on a surface level. And a CDC is there to say, hey – we in the community feel like we can do something tangible to improve our own neighborhood, our own community. Well, a couple things about that. First of all, just the in the ideal world, the the CDC is working to stimulate interest and redevelopment. So eventually, they're going to put themselves out of business. Mm-hmm. And you have seen that in Cooper Young had a CDC for a while, and. More and more of the private market came in. That organization went away, but certainly the the redevelopment of that neighborhood has continued. And even neighborhoods like Frazier, there was just something in the media recently about a big new private developer, uh, a development that's going in, I think, near the new Amazon plant, but they're building a new subdivision up there. Mm-hmm. So those are examples. I don't, there's plenty of work for the Fraser CDC to do. I don't oh, yeah. think they're going to go away anytime soon. But that's the the ideal, is that the private market will come in after the CDC has done some work to bring attention and resources. Yeah. But there's one other thing I wanted that we didn't talk about that's important about CDCs is that they're governed by neighborhood stakeholders. A majority of people on the board are going to be residents, business owners, maybe the principal of the school. And the idea is that people who live in the neighborhood, work in the neighborhood, ought to be the deciders on what kinds of programs, activities, developments come. It shouldn't be decided by someone at City Hall or maybe less scrupulous investors that that um, they have a seat at the table and they're actually the deciders on what what that looks like. A CDC is, is, is kind of on a larger scale is rooted basically in just neighborhood interest. And 
I'm on, on a smaller scale, starting with maybe like a neighborhood organization of some kind. I started this little Facebook group three years ago now, just called the Neighborhood Memphis Neighborhood Collaborative, bringing together different neighborhoods from all over the city, kind of to, to talk about the different tools that neighborhoods have to have a stake or have a say in what happens in their own neighborhood. And part of that evolution can turn into a, a CDC. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And as you said, yeah, it is. It's, it, it's made up of community stakeholders. And these things can evolve into, into TIFs, into tax increment financing plans that, that help revitalize neighborhoods and communities. It can turn into all kinds of things. Well, and that's where the council comes in. And I guess we'll talk in a minute about the, the name change, but that's where the council comes in because these organizations have a lot of shared interests. They need to lobby the city for funding streams. They need to educate themselves. Capacity building is a big part of what the council did. Programs to help to educate CDC directors about what tax increment financing is and how they can take advantage of it for their neighborhoods. And so that's a big capacity building, training, also just a lot of introductions and dot connecting and then and then the advocacy piece those are all sort of core tenets of the work yeah for those who you know haven't really heard the term capacity building what we're talking about really is dollars and staffing capacity means and training and and training yeah yeah and training where you know you need boots on the ground to do this work and to have boots on the ground it's it's not always all volunteers Right. It's sometimes you have to have a dedicated staff person who it, it serves as an administrator. Or, oh, yeah. You don't you know. get very far with just volunteer staff. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Storyboard 30 on FM 89.3 WYPL. We are sitting down with Emily Trenum, who is the recipient of this year's one of this year's Mojo of Midtown Awards. And we're talking about CDCs and community development councils. So the council itself, as you said, is really there uh, the, the the term council is perfect right it serves as a an advocacy group to bring together various smaller entities to help with training help with identifying resources and so on the council itself the the CD council its lifespan basically was what from 2000 to 2017 well the organization it's still the same organization right. but about 10 years ago, I want to say, we formed a program called Livable Memphis to work specifically on issues related to transportation, land use, addressing urban sprawl. That program took off in a big way. Mm-hmm. And that was a more community, or I always said that was our retail arm because worked a lot more with residents and did a lot of public programs. And at some point, there was just a lot of confusion in the community about the difference between those two programs. People thought Livable Memphis was its own organization. And so in 2016, 2017, we undertook a looking at our identity and our brand, as it were. And so the organization is now known as Building Memphis, and it's BLDG, which is stands for Build, Live, Develop, Grow. And it's the same organization, the same programs, but it just brought them all under a single umbrella. And uh, the, the acronym fits. 
build, live, develop, grow. Then it turns into the acronym, which you know we say is building. Yes, you know, which which is when really, you see it, it looks like building. But and it's perfect in terms of its message. I think so too. Yeah. It also, I think, is a great illustration of the broader work of the CDCs, who now do work in those arenas, doing green line projects, and their own portfolios have grown to encompass a lot of things beyond sort of your traditional affordable housing. So going back to the 90s when you decided to make this change, <laughs> where's the, where your passions come from in terms of community development, city building, and all that? As I said, I had a corporate career. I moved here in 1992 from New York, and my work for a company that transferred me here. Mm-hmm. And I continued to do that, and then my company was acquired. Mm-hmm. And it was a British company, so as I said, I was made redundant. That's <laughs> what they call layoffs, right. <laughs> Made being made redundant. And I just was ready to do something different. So I have always been interested in urban planning. The University of Memphis here, has, of course, has a great city and regional planning master's program. So I enrolled there. It's not necessarily planning to work in community development. It was this, I like to say I'm a person who, you know, my life is, I have a a life plan and I really don't. My mother's probably (laughs) listening and just nodding her head. I really don't. I've, I've just kind of moved in a lot of different directions and it's worked out. Uh I think when I started working for CD council, you know, I just loved it. I loved the neighborhoods, like a lot of people, I had. I worked in East Memphis. I lived in Midtown, and I just drove up and down Poplar Avenue, and I got on the expressway once in a while. And I just did not. What's one of the things about how Memphis developed is it's very easy not to drive through our many blighted communities, and it's out of sight, out of mind. And when I got an, an opportunity to go into neighborhoods and work with Rashawn, Chris Reginald Milton was very active in the organization, Steve Lockwood, some people who are still in the field, mm-hmm. major community leaders. And I just loved it. I love the neighborhoods and their history and the people that were inspired, inspired me. I didn't know it was a passion and then it was. It's easy for some of us, I mean, your trajectory is, is, is actually very similar to mine in, in coming from a different state and learning the city and then suddenly becoming passionate and interested in the same types of development. And I have a communications background as well, which is interesting. Well, it has come in handy it's, for sure. Yes, it's come in handy. Speaking of which, you made another career transition. I wouldn't say move because you're you're really in the same arena to high ground news. I did. Yeah. And that was That was in 2017. That was 2017. Now, the interesting thing with High Ground News and of course, uh, Storyboard Memphis, we partner with High Ground News, we publish content in print, and we are honored to do that. Uh, we think it's a necess- very necessary thing to, to show the community in print the the fine work that you all do at High Ground News. But talk about how your work with the CD Council on Building Memphis, how that has transitioned to your work with High Ground News. So High Ground probably came to Memphis in 2014, 2015. Yeah. And a year or two after they'd been here – they decided to launch a program called On the Ground, right. which is an embedded journalism program 
that actually puts a journalist team in a single neighborhood for three months to lift up those stories about resident small business, really to try to change the narrative of those neighborhoods from problems to assets and opportunities. Mm -hmm. And they needed someone local to help them figure out what neighborhoods to go into. So Jan Young from the Assisi Foundation, I had already met the high ground folks, but Jan Young from Assisi Foundation said, you need to talk to Emily. (laughs) So we met with them, John Paul Schaefer, who's now the executive director of Building Memphis. We worked on just sort of some selection criteria and made some recommendations about about how to, you know, what neighborhoods would be good. Like, is there a lot of leadership? What the built environment is like? What neighborhoods yeah. I thought would be we thought would be good to focus on? And and that led to us actually having a small contract with High Ground to do the evaluation at, of this program because every, every after every three months they move to another neighborhood and we're doing program evaluation. So right around the time that I was leaving, you know, wanting to make a change, didn't really know what I was going to do next, and there was an opportunity to grow that role and become community engagement manager. So it's actually very just, I just sort of transitioned into, and the great thing about that is that, of course, in a lot of these neighborhoods, I already know people because of my work with Community Development Council. And I like to think that I've developed relationships of trust with some of the neighborhood leaders that I've worked with over the years, which is important when you're journalists coming in, I mean, we show up and say, hey, we're here. Yeah. Tell us your stories. And if you ha- already have relationships and even have story ideas, so the the relationships really lent themselves to, and of course, as I mentioned, it's still all about neighborhoods, which is my passion. You know, it's the, the role at High Ground for you, it seems like, is a perfect marriage between uh, your passions for neighborhoods and your communication skills. Right. I think that's true. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I don't. I, I don't write, but I support. Although I do host the podcast, I don't write for the publication, but do everything else. The communication aspect it cannot be overemphasized. How important it is when it comes to the work of a community development council, of a community organization, the role of communications in making sure the the public and the neighborhood understands their role understands the the council's role, understands the organization's role, so that there is truly a community effort. And yeah, it can't be overemphasized. Well, and I think that there's in neighborhoods are just full of stories that need to be illuminated. Yeah. Stories about, you know, community development, stories about interesting small business or neighborhood leaders nonprofits doing important work, and also assets, parks in the neighborhood, schools. And most of those stories just are not getting told at all. Mm-hmm. And I think Storyboard has come along since and really helped. We've sh- we've done some shared editorial content, but also you have done a lot of those stories yourself. But until then, it's just the, the media can't really dive in and that's been the role for us and it's been very it's been successful it's interesting i just just came off i did a a show with marvin stockwell he's got a new new show and we talked a lot about uh, the importance of recognizing a neighborhood's assets 
a community's assets. Part of it is the history. You know, we, we have such a, a complex history in Memphis, but it's an asset, and it, and it ought to be honored. There's, there's pride in so many of these neighborhoods. I mean, Orange Mound is, is such a great example. You know, right now property values are down, but I, I can't say that I've ever seen a neighborhood with more neighborhood pride than Orange Mound. Well, I agree with that. The only thing I'll say is a lot of people know about Orange Mound. Yeah. And there's a lot of others. Like one of the neighborhoods we're going to be we're, – we're embedded in North Memphis at the moment. Currently, and, yeah. and one that we're going to be highlighting a number – doing some overarching issues but highlighting some smaller neighborhoods. And Douglas is one of the neighborhoods we're going to be doing kind of a deep dive into. Douglas also has very rich African-American history, mm-hmm. and I'm excited about about lifting up those stories that people don't know about. I mean, the thing about assets is so important because, as I said, the media narrative about – really about Memphis but about the neighborhoods is – Poverty, blight, failing schools, problems. Mm-hmm. And High Ground News covers all of those, but we take a solutions approach and we look at who is working to address those issues. So yeah. hopefully the narrative changes and we hope over time we're making a small contribution into people having renewed interest or investment in those communities. A couple minutes left. What is um – Getting the Mojo Award, what, is, what does it mean to you? That's a hard one. I do. I guess one of the reasons I was surprised is because although I love Midtown, I don't necessarily think of myself as a Midtown advocate in the same way that a Gordon Alexander would be. Mm-hmm. But I do – we, we, we haven't talked much about – we haven't had a lot of time to talk about policy and but when we were at Community Development Council and now building Memphis, there have been a lot of policy efforts that we've been involved with, especially around the areas of, you know, bike and pedestrian. Yeah. We were very instrumental in a a statewide law called the Neighborhood Preservation Act that the city and others have used to either demolish vacant and abandoned properties or get the owners to fix them up. And so those affect all neighborhoods in a good way. So I am proud of my work. And the organization is continuing to just one thing that we, I mean, as I'm outside of it now and I just see things, great things continuing to happen. For example, there was recently a new affordable housing trust fund enabled by the city. Well, we have been working on that for 10 or 15 years. And I was not able to bring that over the finish line. Mm -hmm. But building Memphis, working with Paul Young at the city, they did. Uh And it was when that happened, I was just doing my happy dance because policy change takes a long time. And but when that happens, all neighborhoods benefit, including Midtown. So I'm super, super proud. Congratulations again. I, you know, I think you'll find that the receiving the award, really, it just it kind of puts a stamp on your on on the work you've done, and and the and your passions. And you know, everyone in Midtown, you know, when we when we look at these awards, we really do honor those who've made a significant difference. Not just in Midtown, because we figure Midtown represents also many many parts of Memphis. So again, congratulations. Thank you so much. I'll see you. At the awards. Tell me again when it is. It is April 1st, Wednesday night at 6 o'clock, I think.
<laughs> circuit Playhouse. Yeah, circuit Playhouse. It's super fun. There's usually live music and there's adult beverages and food and the award ceremony itself is a lot of fun. So everyone needs to come out. And I mean, think about it. Doesn't everyone want to honor me? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and all the other great honorees. I'm making a joke, obviously. Yeah. Well, Emily, thank you so much for being on. Emily Trenum, we'll see you. Yes, we'll see you April 1st. Thanks again to Jeff Hewlett and his fine acoustic guitar work, to producer Vance Durbin, and to WYPL broadcast manager Tommy Warren, to WYPL and the Memphis Public Libraries for their support, and to you listeners and supporters of the library and FM 89.3. We hope you join us next time on Storyboard 30 for more conversation with those Memphis personalities and shapers who make our lives here in the Bluff City just a little bit better. Memphis, make it a great week. Mm-hmm.